Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 125 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. We've got a real inspiring story to share with you today. My guest this week is Julie Chessel. And back in 2017, Julie's middle son, Brock, was diagnosed with liver cancer and ultimately winding up with Brock needing a liver transplant. Brock is a hockey fanatic and a real superstar in in hockey in his age group and decided to kind of clue you in on part of the interview, and that is Brock is back on the ice. But to hear the rest of the story, I'd like you to join me now for my conversation with Julie Chessel. Julie, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you taking the time. And obviously the first question is, how's Brock? Brock is doing amazing. He was diagnosed April 2017 with stage four hepatoblastoma. So that's liver cancer. And he's doing really well. We're very blessed. He was diagnosed stage four right off the bat with no signs or symptoms. He just was getting into the shower one day and I looked at him and thought, oh boy, you're skinny for a 10 year old. He was just turning 11. Mm. And he's an active boy. He plays AAA hockey and AAA baseball. And he's one of those kids that doesn't have to work at much. He's really good at school. He's very athletic. And I just chalked it up to him being a boy, him being active. He was a picky eater. He still is a picky eater, but he just was skinny. So we went into the family doctor for some protein shakes for a nutritional consult. And we came up with a stage four cancer diagnosis a couple of days later. So just blew the socks off of us. What made the doctors want to look into that as a possibility? What did they see? Yeah, when we had gone to the family doctor, I asked him to take, you know, said to him, can you just take off Brock's shirt, have Brock take off his shirt and just look at his frame because I knew that he was too skinny and he had weighed him and done his height and all the measurements and Brock was perfectly fine on the growth chart for the boys of his age. So he wasn't too keen on to do that, but he appeased me anyway. And he said, yeah, okay, he's skinny. And I said, you know, lay him down because I'm a nurse. So this, this is probably, <laughs> it's, it's, not a, it's not a good thing to be a nurse and a, and a cancer mom. It's good and it's bad. It's kind of a double-edged sword. And I have a really good relationship with my family doctor. So he was feeling around his abdomen and said, you know what, his liver's enlarged. And I said, okay, well, what, what does that mean? And how does, you know, what happens with that? He said, well, it could be virus. It could be an endocrine thing but let's get some blood work and we'll get an ultrasound the next day and we'll go from there. So he had blood work done and the family doctor called me at 1030 at night and said, I know for sure it's not leukemia or lymphoma because his blood work was fine in that respect, but his platelets were about a thousand. 
So he said, something's up. So again, it could be viral. It could be, you know, some autoimmune disease, something. But I just had this gut feeling, again, being a nurse and knowing too much. So we went for an ultrasound the next day. And he sent that report over to the pediatricians, actually, that I work with. So I'm a charge nurse in labor and delivery, NICU and pediatrics. So that's right up my alley. So the pediatrician um, sent us right away to our big hub. I work at a smaller hospital, kind of just a feeder hospital outside of our big hospital. And the, the pediatrician said, I don't even want to see him. You have to go to London. So we went to London Emerge in London, Ontario, and we saw the chief of Emerge Medicine. And that was odd, too, because they don't really ever come down and see kids. They're just kind of there, right? Yeah. And he said, you know, I have to call oncology, right? That was his first words. Oh, my goodness. That was his first words. Yeah. I mean, he introduced himself, but that was his first words. And I just knew from there that we were going downhill. So... That was a shocking thing. And I was teary and Brock said to me, mom, are you, are you crying because those babies are crying? And I said, yes, honey, those babies are getting needles. And mommy gets sad when, when I hear babies cry like that. So he didn't even really grasp what was going on, obviously. And from there, the ball just rolled. Yeah. So where else had it spread that made it stage four? So it was all up into his diaphragm. So he had a 22 by 18 centimeter tumor on the right lobe of his liver, a fairly significant one on the left, all up into his diaphragm and then a spot on his lung. Is that type of cancer unusual for kids? Very. Well, it's not unusual so much for younger kids. Actually, one in a million children get diagnosed. So it's a rare cancer in itself. But usually it's baby, so zero to maybe three or four years of age. That's the cancer that Michael Bublé's son had. Mm -hmm. So hepatoblastoma. Yeah. 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 But Brock was turning 11. So extremely rare. Extremely rare. Yeah. So how did you share this news with him? Well, I think he kind of knew something was wrong. We waited for confirmation with the oncologist. He actually had two cancer diagnoses uh, that week of that week and a week after we were originally diagnosed with germ cell carcinoma so the lance armstrong tumor right and we thought oh, okay that's that's really you know it's operable we can take it out it's contained at that point we didn't know quite how extensive it was and they didn't either and then they got more tests and more doctors involved and uh, the morning that he was supposed to go for surgery they came back and said i'm sorry it's inoperable So we had to um, start that whole chemo regime and just go from there. Yeah. How's he doing today? Really good. Really good. So he ended up, uh, the chemotherapy didn't work. We tried three different chemotherapies and they weren't working. So we were kind of going on the palliative route because nothing was shrinking. Maybe a millimeter, nothing worked. So he ended up having to have a liver transplant, a deceased donor liver transplant. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't know that that was a treatment option for a cancer patient. For Yeah, for, for that type, I guess. That was kind of our last ditch effort. And when did that happen? So that was August 23rd of 2017. So shy of two years this summer. It'll be two mm-hmm. years. Yeah. Yeah. I know. 
you go from <laughs> one extreme to the other. So it's two very big platforms, but very separate and very different. Very scary. Sure. Yeah. So sure. because that, that whole transplant piece is a whole other, you know, immunotherapy and forever on pills and, you know, watching that liver that it doesn't reject. And, and that's a mm-hmm. whole other ball of wax that we weren't prepared for. Right. And how's he managing that piece of it right now? So he started about 40 pills a day. He's actually was lucky that he didn't um, stroke initially because when he came into um, the eMERGE in London, uh, his pressure was, blood pressure was 200 over 110. So they were thinking that, you know, it was possible at any time that he would stroke because of that high blood pressure. So he was used to taking some pills for that in the beginning. After the transplant, he ended up, I think he had about 40 pills a day. And now we're down to about 15. So wow. s- still quite a, quite a lot. He just kind of takes the cup and ha. <laughs> I was not, Swall- uh, Swallows. You, you beat me to it because I know that that's something that's hard for kids to learn how to do is swallow pills. And have someone his age have to do 40 of them. I was going to ask you, so did he practice on M&Ms first? Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah. I remember that's what they did with me. Yeah. Yeah. He's a rock star. He, I mean, it's just a matter of, you know, for him, if say, if we're not around, it's just a matter of him being responsible now. And we're trying to get him into that mode of, because he'll be on pills forever, you know, he needs to take a little bit of responsibility to think, okay, you know, I'm up in the morning, I'm having breakfast, so I need to take my pills. And sometimes he forgets and that's okay. He's 12, but it's important that he learns that for when he gets into his adult life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've shared on the show previously, I'm guessing that not a lot of our listeners know, but that I too am a pediatric cancer survivor. I was diagnosed much younger at the age of five. And despite it being that young, I do have a lot of memories. And one of the things I remember is, of course, I didn't know it then, but realize it now was how much and how my parents explained to me what was happening. And obviously being a a really young child, you know, they did everything they could to minimize fear and maybe not tell the whole truth and say, oh, you know, you know, it would, the doctor just needed to do X when that really wasn't the case. And obviously I didn't know that for another 20 years. How, how did you approach what you shared with Brock in terms of treatment and prognosis and those kinds of things? So it was really important for us to, I have two other boys, one older and one younger, my husband and I, and it was important for everybody to be involved. So we waited until we had all the facts kind of gathered in the beginning. We sat everybody down in Brock's hospital room and told them what was going on, but we made a pact that cancer was not going to define him or it wasn't going to define our family. And we made a pact that this cancer, we said, cancer eats negativity, right? <laughs> yes. Hates positivity, right? So we we wanted to be as positive as we could. And that wasn't an option not to be positive. I mean, everybody has their days, but it was not an option for this to beat us. Even if there were days that we thought it would. And even on the times that we knew it was going to, it wasn't an option. And that's really... I think something that got us through. Sure, that makes sense. But in terms of 
the details of his treatment and how he was going to feel and all of these kinds of things. Did you just, you know, let him be in the conversation or did you feel that you and your husband needed to maybe filter things a little bit? No, we, we included, to minimize the fear. Yeah, no. I mean, we included him as much as we could. We thought it was important. He was just at that age where technology is so accessible. He could Google things. He, you know, we tried to not encourage that at all, but he could Google things. His friends could Google things. They could all talk and he could know what was happening. So we tried to very much include him on every decision that was made, even though we really didn't have many decisions to make because we didn't, we lost all that control as you do. And you're just kind of in survival mode. But he was part of that. He, you know, the medications that he took, some didn't jive with him. Um, Dexamethasone left him really angry. He was on Nabilone and that left him totally, you know, sky high as Nabilone does with the synthetic TSH. So it was just a matter of trying to see what worked and him having a part of that because he had no control anymore, right? He was an avid hockey player that got taken away from him. His summer got taken away from him. He had just made a AAA baseball team. That got taken away from him. He had worked so hard to get to where he was with his high-level sports, and he was out of, you know, all that control and all that work was gone. So whatever control we could give to him, we tried to, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. You know, I, you know, with my own cancer experience, I realized that before my recent challenge, how much I didn't understand what my parents went through until I had kids of my own. Tell me a little bit about the conversation between you and your husband when you first got the news. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard. I think for me as a mom, I didn't give my husband a lot of options to, you know, stay overnight. It was me. It it wasn't an option that we would kind of, you know, spell each other off. And probably that was detrimental to me a little bit because I was, that left me even more tired. But actually five days after Brock was diagnosed, my husband was playing basketball in a father-son game and blew, completely blew his patella. Oh my goodness. So he had surgery two days later. So a week after diagnosis and was in bed for three months. Mm. So it was just me. So the conversations were kind of mixed, right? It was kind of, you know, you're in survival mode. So you don't actually get to maybe chat as much as you should. And I know many parents that don't survive their marriages, don't survive or they're rocky or, or what have you post cancer. My husband and I thankfully have come through this. Not, you know, we all have our ups and downs. Counseling certainly has helped post-cancer and transplant, but it certainly, it, it shakes you from the core up, whether it's just yourself, whether it's your marriage, your relationships with other people, your kids, that kind of thing. So yeah, we've had some difficult conversations for sure. Sure. Where do you turn to for support outside of your family? I would say for sure my friends. You quickly learn who your friends are and who your friends aren't. There was a lot of support in the beginning, which we're so grateful for and during. But when things quiet down, 
you really learn who's there for you and who's not. I do have some very, very close girlfriends who are nurses um, that were there for me 100%. My mom and dad, my parents certainly have been um, a huge support and other cancer moms that you meet because nobody really knows what you go through until you're going through it. And those, those moms certainly have, have helped for sure. Yeah. And counseling, like I said, you know, you, you have to be able to kind of debrief when you're out of the trenches. Sure. And what about Brock? Where did he get his support from? Yeah. So his, he, his friends were amazing. His school, his teachers, his hockey friends, that's really, really his main goal was to get back to hockey. That's what he strived for. And he was actually back for his first game for AAA hockey was 10 weeks post-transplant. So that, yeah, yeah. That's what determined the way his mind worked. And, And thank God he's as strong and as determined and resilient as he is. He set the record for sick kids in Toronto for fastest discharge of any transplant of any kind. The record was 10 days and he made sure he was out in nine. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so as a diehard hockey fan myself, I have to ask, the poor kid's not a Sens fan, is he? No, no, he's not. <laughs> no, he's not. But actually, he is the junior ambassador for Eugene Melnick who owns the Ottawa Senators, mm-hmm. his foundation for for organ donation. So that's that's a funny little uh, <laughs> sidebar there. <laughs> I, it's a relevant question because, as you know, my listeners know, I started back on chemo last week. Right. And, I, and we are Tampa Bay Lightning season ticket holders. And goodness, I hope I feel okay to be, to be at the game. So who's his team? Yeah. We can't be friends. <laughs> so he's a huge Penguins fan. His huge. Oh, okay. Who's the <laughs> the Leafs? Uh-huh. <laughs> his, his main guy is Bill Kessel. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And we're about two hours south of Toronto. And his main, other main guy is Mitch Marner from the Leafs. So Mitch actually, Brock was able to get a stick from him. We went to the game on February 4th, which is World Cancer Day, not even thinking about it. We went and uh, Brock held up a sign and Mitch Mitch gave him an autographed stick. So that was pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. I, yeah. I, I can't miss an opportunity to talk hockey, I don't, even if it is a cancer podcast. <laughs> so my apologies can't to our listeners who aren't hockey yeah. fans. Sorry. <laughs> How has, you know, as a mother, do you notice any changes in in Brock and how he looks at his day and how he looks at the world since this has happened? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, for the last two years, it was so busy. He didn't have a chance to kind of breathe. And in the last little bit, we've noticed just his confidence has been shaken. His, you know, he he's not as maybe outgoing as he used to be. He's had a couple setbacks with complications from the transplant um, surgery last year, and he's actually having to have surgery in a couple weeks again. So he just, you know, everybody has their bad days like, like you know, we all do, um, and he's certainly entitled to those. But I think he's now just kind of living through everything. His, his brain has settled a little bit because it was busy, and now it's just kind of, you know, you look around and you're like, okay, what am I supposed to do next? Because you're so used to going, going, you know, chemo, you're running to the hospital, fevers, you're running, you know, needles and meds, and you feel 
like garbage. And when it's all said and done, when you're quiet with yourself, um, I'm sure his little mind just goes, you know, why me? You know, with the setbacks that he's had, he's, you know, his sports has been affected. Why that? But he turns that around very quickly and he is a huge advocate for pediatric cancer and he's a huge advocate for organ donation. So I think he channels some of that into that advocacy work and it's pretty special. There's a lot of people that have, you know, signed their cards because of him, organ donation. He's raised a lot of money for pediatric cancer in Canada. We've gone to speak at conferences in San Francisco and Florida, one coming up in the fall in British Columbia. So he's doing big things. And I think that he knows he was given this for a reason, even though it's hard to know that at 12. But I say now that, you know, you don't get this on purpose as, as nobody should ever have to get it. But especially as a child, you were given this for a reason. And I think his reason was to change cancer, change the face of the beast, as we call it. So, yeah. So as a parent slash caregiver, what lessons can you pass on, Julie, perhaps as someone who might be listening to this conversation, who they themselves or someone that they love recently learned that their child has received a cancer diagnosis? What, what tips, what advice might you share? Yeah, so this is very important to me. And I want, you know, everyone that comes into contact with us even if it's not cancer, but especially for cancer parents, to know that you're not alone. You may feel alone, even though you have a big group around you. You know, nobody really knows what you're going through. But if you don't, if you can let the process kind of happen, but frame of mind is everything. We, you know, like I said, had bad days, but we did not let this diagnosis define who we were as a family who we were as, as parents. And we made sure that every moment that we had, because we were going down that palliative route, every moment that we had was special. So we ate ice cream for breakfast or we, you know, went to the cottage and had no TV. We just played games and we laughed and we, you know, it's important to take the little moments and be present be really present because you don't know when things may explode again, as you know, right? Um, relapse is possible at, at any stage, especially stage four. So it's important that you love, love true and love deep. Yeah. And keep a positive mindset. Great advice. Thanks. Julie, where can people find you online if they want to connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Facebook, Julie Lizer Chessel. So um, L-E-Y-S-E-R and then Chessel is C-H-E-S-S-E-L-L. I have a Instagram page. It's I'm warrior.bossbabe. Um, so warrior kind of for the cancer mom and boss babe because I, you know, I have a business on the side and I'm a nurse and I'm just a boss babe. I'm a good boss babe. But yeah, I've had people reach out to me that I have no idea who they are and just say, you know, you're inspirational. And that's what that's what gets me through the day when I'm having tough days and and I hear from people saying, you know, I just need to talk to somebody. I'm like, talk to me. I'm here. So it's pretty special. And that's great that you're that generous with your time to kind of Absolutely. pay it forward. And I know that, yeah. that means a lot to the people that you connect with. Thank you. 
Julie, thank you so much for reaching out to me to share your story. I wish you and your family and most importantly, Brock, just all good things ahead. I would like nothing better than uh, 10 years from now to see him on TV skating on the ice. Wouldn't that yeah. be cool? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? And, um, uh, hopefully that's not a dream he's given up on yet, but uh, certainly the health is, is first and foremost. And, and we Absolutely. just want to wish you you and everybody all the best in that department. And, thank uh, you so much. Thank you. Thank you. There are a number of ways that you can support the Colon Cancer Coalition with events taking place across the country, starting with the one this Saturday, June the 8th, for our friends in Allentown, Pennsylvania, is the Tour de Touche Bike Race, and this takes place at Grange Park. You have your choice of 10, 30, or 60-mile race for that exciting event. Coming up on Friday, June 14th, for our friends in Bloomingdale, Illinois, is the Caboose Cup Golf Tournament. This is taking place at the Bloomingdale Golf Club in Bloomingdale, Illinois. All proceeds benefiting the Colon Cancer Coalition. On Saturday, June 22nd, is a Get Your Rear and Gear 5K Run walk as well as a kids fun run this is for our friends in rochester minnesota and this get your rear and gear run walk is taking place at soldiers field moving into july on friday july 12th for our friends in green bay wisconsin there's an amateur baseball game featuring the Lakeshore Chinooks, and this is taking place at Capital Credit Union Park, and $4 of every ticket sold for this ball game will go back to the BayCare Get Your Rear in Gear, also benefiting the Colon Cancer Coalition. And finally, on Thursday, July 21st, is a Get Your Rear in Gear event taking place in San Francisco at Lake Merced Sunset Parking Lot. For information on this and all other Get your rear in gear, Colon Cancer Coalition events. Visit the Colon Cancer Coalition website at coloncancercoalition.org. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.